Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. On the Behind the Mask podcast, we have some of the greatest athletes to ever play the game and some of your well-known celebrities. We are discussing a wide range of topics, including fatherhood, relationships, business ventures, social issues, and untold stories. On the Behind the Mask podcast, there's only one rule. There are no rules. Let's go behind the mask. What's up, too? What's good, man? How you doing? How you feeling? Man, I'm feeling outstanding right now. It's a special draft day edition. We got some good conversation behind the mask conversations. And uh, it's a huge day for the National Football League. Huge day for all of the fans. The reason why, because of the NFL draft, which comes on a little bit later tonight. But, you know, we got a lot of juicy stuff to talk about, man. A lot of fans requested that we need to get on, come on, do a show, Mm -hmm. and really give our feedback on what the experience was like for us. And then also talking about what it's going to be like for these young men who are getting ready for their lives to be changed at 8 p.m. tonight. Man, that's when it all starts, man. Some guys going in the first round, obviously tonight, 8 p.m., like you said. But the difficult part is the guys that have to play a little bit of a waiting game. You know, you think you're going first round, you think you're going early, you may be bumped back. Teams have different needs at at the last hour. Some guys will be going tomorrow. Some guys will be going uh, Saturday as well. Some free agents, but this draft tonight is going to be a little bit different in that we're still dealing with the pandemic. Guys didn't have an opportunity to have pro days. Guys didn't have an opportunity to meet with teams. Guys didn't have the opportunity to get in front of coaches, GMs, because you know Spice like I do. It's an interview. This is the largest interview of your life, and you want that one-on-one personal FaceTime, you know? Um, they didn't get the opportunity to do that, unfortunately. So, you know, there may be a little, little bit uh, different scenario than we've had in the past. Yeah, it definitely will be. And especially when you look at teams, every pick is an investment for them. Mm-hmm. But when you look at it overall, everybody put a lot of emphasis on the first, second round pick. Guys, mm-hmm. just because... You want to spend as much time as you can with them because those are the guys that eventually you will build your team off of. And when you look at the draft order and you say, you know what, who has the number one pick of the 2020 NFL draft? And it's one of my former teams, the Cincinnati Bengals. And um, they've had this pick several times. But when you look (laughs) at the top two candidates in the draft, Joe Burrow, you look at the street at Ohio State and in Columbus. So when you look at the dynamic, you know, a lot of people think uh, this is a no-brainer. Uh, yeah. You look at what Joe Burrow did last year, national champion for the LSU Tigers, how he led his football team throughout the year and consistently got better. Yeah. Right. When you look at what he was able to do and compare that to Chase Young, guy consistently got better. And to me, you know, you can look at the stats, you can look at the sacks that he had, the hurries, the pressures, but I really felt like his true presence was more so felt not just off of the reflection of the sacks, 
but by the disruption that he caused and had other guys making plays, even though he did not make yeah. the play. So my question to you is, too, who do you pick when you have two franchise players back to back, Joe Burrow, Chase Young? If you're the Cincinnati Bengals, who do you pick? Well, here's the thing, Keel. To, to your point, Chase Young had a tremendous year on the defensive side of the ball, and you want somebody that can affect the game on third down, and that's either a standout corner, but we know cornerbacks aren't going one number one overall, or you want somebody that can can get after the quarterback on the third down, change the uh, you know get the defense off the field, get the offense the ball back, or you want a quarterback that can extend the play on third down, and those are the guys that typically go first round. But to your point, Chase Young had a great year. Joe Burrow also had a great year. Here's the thing, Spikes. You can't go wrong with either pick, right? You got a franchise-type player in Chase Young that can get after the quarterback, line him up on the opposite side of our guy, Carlos, Carlos Dunlap, and have them rush the pass. And now you're getting off the field, getting your ball back, that high-power offense that the Bengals do have when they're not turning the ball over. And then you have an opportunity to keep the game more competitive. But Joe Burrow once-in-a-lifetime, uh, once-in-a-generation, I should say, type of pick, a guy that's had success, right. was in o Ohio State, went down to LSU, got a national championship. He's a winner. He's poised. He has a cannon. He seemingly does no wrong on the field. So, again, to kill you can't go wrong, but what the Bengals can do is get it right. And if they're going to get it right, you have to go Joe Burrow. You have to. What did they do last year with Andy Dalton? He's been there forever. They benched him. They benched him halfway through the season. So at that point, you don't know what is going to be a quarterback situation for the foreseeable future. But new coach, second-year coach, Zach Taylor, each head coach that comes into an organization is tied to two people, the general manager and their quarterback. If Andy Dalton is, is on his way out or is not going to be there and be their starter, you have to draft Joe Burrow. Pair him with Coach Taylor and then let them move forward, and that's going to be the Bengals' future. My boy, I cannot disagree with you more, and simply because of the reason why when you have a quarterback like Joe Burrow playing in the toughest conference mm. in collegiate football, the SEC, and for him to do what he were, that he was able to do against four top ten ranked teams mm. in college football was quite amazing. So. I like the pick. And then this is the other reason why I also like the pick. When you look on the defense side of the ball, you talk about pass rushers. And, mm. you know, unfortunately, as a team, they did not collect a lot of sacks. But that is directly tied to the fact when you're playing, when you're behind all the time, that opposing team is not going to take a chance and throw the football. So they're going to no, run the football no. all the time. So your pass rushers are truly not going to have an opportunity. You have Carlos Dunlap. Pro Bowl mm -hmm. on that side. Geno Atkins, another Gino. Pro Bowler. You got on the opposite side of Carlos Dunlap is Sam Hubbard. He's been playing outstanding football over the last two years. And so, and then Carl Lawson, who is his backup mm -hmm. on both sides. So when you look at the plethora of pass rushers that they have, it probably wouldn't make sense to go ahead and pick Chase Young. So I agree with you on that. And so you got to build your team with Joe Burrow. Now, the experience of draft day is huge. I remember my, my experience, man, 1998. I remember I didn't go to New York 
my agent mm -hmm. at the time, he was in Oakland, California. So we decided to do a draft day party in San Francisco at mm -hmm. this good old, uh, God, what was it? Planet Hollywood. I know you remember Planet Hollywood. <laughs> yeah, a lot of the OGs Hollywood. out there, they probably sure. remember. Yeah, so we closed that thing down. We brought everybody from the crib. Uh, my mom's pops, whole family, everybody, my friends. And uh, we enjoyed the draft day from that. And mm -hmm. listen, I tell you, I, I was the number 13 pick in the draft, but it nice. seemed like it was so long because I knew I had an opportunity to go as early as that number six pick. Mm -hmm. But at the worst case scenario, I knew the Atlanta Falcons had the number 12 pick. And I remember vividly at the number 10 pick, the Atlanta Falcons called and they said, if you're there, we're going to take you. And I was like, shit, all right, cool, Fred, your own team. team. So, you know, I think Fred Taylor, he went number 10 with the Jacksonville Jaguars. And I was thinking, okay. I remember the commissioner got up, Paul Tagliabue at the time, picked up his paper with the 12th pick of the 1998 NFL draft, the Atlanta Falcons select linebacker. I'm like, oh shit, <laughs> I'm about to be at the crib. At the Who crib, crib. Nobody, I'm about to give it to him. Keith Brooking out of Georgia Tech. Man, I felt uh, like Mike Tyson hit me in the stomach. <laughs> I said, crazy. Put my head down, and I still remember looking up at my mother, and she was like, it's all right. You, you, yeah. you gonna go? And I, look, I looked at my ex right. who has the next pick in the draft? He was like, Cincinnati. Soon as he said Natty, the phone rung. It was Dick LeBeau, defensive coordinator of the, of the Bengals. And I remember picking up the phone, and I still I was still hurt. But I was happy, too, though. Mm -hmm. It was bittersweet. And he was like, hey, young fella, I know you're ready to be a Bengal because we're about to get ready to pull the, you know, you know pick you. And I said, nice. you know what, coach? I appreciate it. I'm ready. Let's do it. And so that was my draft day experience. It was bittersweet, but uh, to wait that long and it wasn't long at all but it felt like an eternity yeah. it was a definitely a memorable draft day that i'll never forget did you did you ever feel like as players were going um obviously keith brooklyn he played several years in the league too had a had a solid career um did you ever feel like damn i'm supposed to go at this spot besides atlanta was there another team that may have been in, in touch with you that you really thought you had an opportunity to get drafted with yeah, I, I thought I had an opportunity to go. It was, well, as early as six. I think New Orleans had that number six pick. And then the other, only other place was Jacksonville because we had conversations with Jacksonville. But outside of that, I, I felt like I felt like it was going to be Jacksonville or the Falcons. And, you know, it shaped up the way that it did. I, of course, I don't have any regrets because it made me who I am today. But it was, like I tell you, man, it was a lot of speculating, a a lot of, um, it was an emotional roller coaster. What was your draft day like? Because um, uh, you didn't go on the first day, but mm. what, what you went fifth round, right? Fifth round, yeah, yeah. Fifth round overall yeah. to the Saints. 
Um, the funny part about mine was I played in the SEC as well, um, you know, Ole Miss, whatever. And um, the funny part was the, the whole process of the draft. So I didn't think initially that I was going to get drafted. I always had in the back of my mind, like, I can do this. We had a right tackle, Todd Wade, huge guy. He was 6'8", 320. He played right tackle. I played left tackle at Ole Miss. And, I, and we had Deuce McAllister and Joe yep. Gunn running the ball. So we were slaughtering the SEC. I, I used to tell Todd, I said, hey, these scouts are coming to see you, you know, getting ready for the next level. They come to see you to see if you're ready. I said, but when they see you, they're going to leave and say, who was that left tackle over there doing this thing? You know what I mean? So I, that whole year, that was my mindset. And then my former roommate, yeah. Terrence Metcalf, he told me after the season was over, man, you ready? You get, what you going to do? You going to work out? You going to stay in class? I said, for what? He's like, man, you go to the NFL. I was like, man, I'm not getting drafted. I'm not getting drafted. You know me, Spice. I, I, I kind of downplay things this way. I'm not disappointed. You know what I mean? So he's like, you going to go. You going to go. Yep. So leading up to that, senior bowl, I get an invite. East West Shrine game, I get an invite. Combine, I get an invite. So I'm like, all right, cool. I, you know, I do my thing. I, I wasn't the strongest, so I didn't, I didn't lift heavy. I didn't test heavy on the bench. But um, when draft day comes, and all the uh, Mel Kuyper and, and, and McShay and all these guys are saying, okay, where would Reyes go? I'm thinking based off of when I came out and when I, the season was over, I was ranked the third ranked ta tackle. I'm not big enough to play tackle in the NFL. So that it got me ranked as a guard. I'm the eighth ranked guard. I'm like, well, shit, that ain't good. <laughs> third to third, yeah. uh, the eighth, you know? <laughs> so, um, but the first round, I, I, didn't, I didn't think I was going the first round. And back then, the first round was on, the first two rounds was on day one. Third and fourth was on day two. And the fifth, sixth, and seventh was on day three. So first round goes, I know I'm not going the first round. You got uh, Chris Samuels, he played, he got drafted. Second round, Todd Wade goes. But as the second round comes, my name comes on the screen. So it's on the ticket as best available. I'm like... This is about to go down, you know what I mean? Because I was, I was, I was. Uh, Shit, I got a chance to get, get from boy. I'm about to get me, me. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So I had a chance to go anywhere from late second to the fourth round. So that was like, all right, cool. So my name was on the ticker, moving up, best available, best available, and it got to the top. So at the end of the second round, it got to the top, and I'm like, damn, I ain't supposed to know these coaches. I'm talking to my agent. Nothing happened. So first day goes by, I'm on the, on the screen. I don't get drafted. I'm like, cool. Third round is decent. Whatever. Third round comes up next day. Matter of fact, that night, we went out and partied in Atlanta in Buckhead. So this is back in the time where we used to, you had to go into clubs in Atlanta, right? You could drive up and down Peachtree and just holler at girls. Park a lot, pipped the whole night. And that's what we were doing. Me and all my boys from New York, you know, we enjoying it. So I, I partied that night. Next day, draft comes on about noon, third round comes, and I'm starting to see guys going off the board, and I'm like, who is this guy? Like, I don't even know him. He didn't play in the SEC. He can't be better than me. My measurables are better, this, this, that. But third round goes, not picked. Fourth round goes, not picked. My name is still at the top of the screen for the whole draft, best available tackles. I don't go. So at this point, I'm over it. I don't party. I'm done. I'm ready for everybody from New York to get back, go back home. I just want to be alone with my mom. My son was just born a year or two before. Next morning, draft comes on again. All my people in the house, my mother's house, they're like, wake up, wake up. I'm like, man, I'm over it. So the fifth round starts. So I said, you know what? I don't want to be around everybody because 
Now I'm lightweight embarrassed because my name has been up there for a day and a half. So I go upstairs in my mother's room. I kick it in there and I'm just sitting there. The phone rings. It's my cousin from New York. I'm like, hello. Hey, can I speak to Tucson? Hey, what's up? I'm like, you know, such and such. I'm like, what do you want? <laughs> what do you want? You know what I'm saying? Like, oh, I just want to say good luck. I'm like, I don't want to talk to you. Yeah, yeah, the phone yeah. to my mother. I'm like, yeah, like, what do I, like, yo, why are you calling me now? I'm waiting for the, the one call that matters. So now I'm up there in the room by myself. My mother comes up there and she says a prayer with me. She's like, whatever's meant to be is going to be. It'll happen. It'll work out. Trust me. You just got to, you know, just believe. So I was like, all right, cool. So I'm up there kind of about to start crying and everything. And the phone rings. 504 area code. I'm like, 504? I don't know nobody in, in New Orleans. So, you know, I pick up the phone. Is the uh, player personnel guy from, from the Saints at the time, Ricky. I forget his last name. But he's like, hey, can I speak to Tutu? I was like, speaking. He's like, how you doing? I said, I'm all right. This is such and such from the Saints. I was like, how you doing? So I start smiling. Just me and my mother in the room, all eight people downstairs. I'm like, I'm doing all right. He said, you in shape? I said, yeah, I'm in shape. He said, you ready to play some football? I was like, yeah. So you want to be a New Orleans Saint? I said, hell yeah. <laughs> he said, all right, we're going to take you without picking. <laughs> he said, we're going to take you without picking the NFL. Uh, in the fifth, our first pick in the fifth round, which was the, the second pick in the fifth round, but their first pick in the fifth round. I said, hell yeah. So as I'm saying this, I'm on the phone with him. I start crying, and then everybody downstairs is yelling because my name comes across the board. So, you know, when it gets later, they just say, you know who it is and then your name goes across the ticker and then everybody talks about it so they saw it downstairs before i get off the phone everybody's screaming my mother i mean my aunt my sister my friends they all run upstairs to my mother's room to try to find me to celebrate with me to, you know congratulate me and everything but todd my son he was like one and a half he's still downstairs bro they left my son downstairs and he couldn't climb the steps yet so he's crying i'm like go get my son what are y'all doing go get it so they brought him upstairs and everything Best moment of my life to that point, aside from having him. Um, life changed forever, man. But it's a beautiful experience. It, it meant so much to me to actually reach my dreams, and I know it did the same for you. Oh, no, I ain't no question, bro. I got one question, though. What was that dress code like on the day you got drafted, though? Because you see everybody come suited and booted. So how was your uh, dress code? Did you have the Tims on, representing the good state of New York? <laughs> New York? <laughs> I didn't have the Tim's on, but I had a wife beard. And I'm going to probably post that picture later today. I had a wife beard, and I may have had a do-rag on because I had braids at the time. So and remember, I didn't want to wake up that morning because I was embarrassed that I didn't go the other two days, and I got all these people from New York down at my mother's house. So I literally rolled out the bed and had a, a tank top on and some, like, some Jordan shorts or something. And that was my draft day outfit. And there's a picture floating out there somewhere. But I'll probably post it today because I think I got it. Bro, I remember... I'm gonna post a picture later today too, but like we were suited and booted now. Yeah. Like it's one thing about the spikes now. We don't we don't look good now when it's a special <laughs> occasion. My pops had hurt his ankle and at work. So he was mm -hmm. on crutches. Uh my mom, she was just mom. Mm -hmm. She was suited and booted, looking nice. My sisters, my brothers, I had a pinstripe suit on. With a yellow shirt, <laughs> and you remember like the graphics. Uh, it it, you, it was like a yellow shirt, but you remember the graphics like in living color, like how they yeah, had the yeah, different yeah, like yeah. the colors of the blocks. And I yeah. had a tie on that had the same like print. Yeah, that going uh, guard trail on. 
<laughs> Boom. Boom. Dad. <laughs> but man, like, I remember, like, like you saying, like, they calling the name and you see it come up on the screen. And it was this, uh, this iconic picture that I'll post today. And it was a picture of me and my mama. And I'm trying to listen to it. And I hear my mama talking to me like, boy, you did it. You're going to do it. You did it. Yeah, mom, I'm trying to hear what they got to say because they might be talking about something. <laughs> You're right. We did do it. You know, I, I mean, but not uh, one of those, one of those experiences that I'll never forget. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, the experience might change that as soon as you're drafted. You know, now they're getting that guy on the plane that night so he can do that press conference right. the next morning. Mm -hmm. They can't do that now, mm -hmm. so it's kind of going to go back to the de old days to where the media over the phone and, and uh, talk mm -hmm. about what are the expectations moving forward. Mm -hmm. And I know for me, one of the things that I wanted to do, number one thing I wanted to do as a rookie coming in the first round pick, I wanted to earn the respect of my teammates. And that's so important because you see guys who come through the league, high picks, end up being bust, but they're not liked by their teammates because they don't do the necessary things in order to gain that respect from them. And so that was the number one priority for me was making sure that I gained the respect of my team. But in order for me to do that, I knew it was vitally important because minicamp happened, I'd want to say a week or two weeks after the yeah, draft. Yeah, week after, yeah, yeah. Yeah, a week after the draft. So what was important for me was, well, you can't get in shape in a one-week time period. So I, I made sure I stayed in shape throughout that time. And I wanted to go in and be as fast as I possibly could be. I wanted to be as smart as I possibly could be by spending extra time in the playbook so I can leave those memorable moments not only on the, the coaching staff, but like ultimately the players who you play with, because like that's why you played the game. You right. want to be able right. to say, I created a memory with this guy because collectively we did something together. Even though we're from different places, come from different backgrounds, we're under one roof and we wear the same logo. So let's go out and let's do it right, man. So like that was my expectation moving forward. Uh, what was your experience like, or, or you know, being fifth, being a fifth round draft pick? Well, that year, I think the Saints, the previous year, the Saints had gave away all their draft picks to get Ricky Williams. I don't know if you remember they they moved up to get uh, Ricky Williams that year. So yeah, they gave away the house. Yeah, they gave, they they mortgaged the farm on that one. So I was the I was their third overall pick. It was the fifth round. It is what it is, but. I remember when I kind of did my research on the Saints, I'm like, damn, man, they got they got one of the greatest. And again, I played left tackle. I never played guard before in my life. So I didn't know if I was going to play guard, but that's where I was projected to go. Um, they had Willie Rofe at left tackle, one of the GOATs, greatest of all time. Um, and happy belated birthday, Willie, if you're watching this. Um, then they had Kyle Turley at right tackle. He was a first-round pick. Then they had my guy Wally Williams at right guard. He just got broke off, got a boatload of money, came from the Ravens. Then they had Jerry Fontenot, who played in the league like 10 years at center. I couldn't snap the ball yet. Then at left tackle, they had Chris Naoli, who was a high pick as well. 
and he was up for free, about to be up for free agency to get broke off too, get extended. So I'm like, you talking about where you fit in? I don't know where I fit in because I got all these guys. You know, I'm thinking like, shit, all right, I'm going to go in and try to take somebody's spot. But, man, Wally sat me down. Wally said, all right, so let's be honest here. You got the goat over here, left tackle. You see how big he is? I'm like, yeah, he about 6'6", 330. I probably was 6'3", and, and five, eight, about 300 even. He said, you ain't going to take his spot. He said, you got Kyle Turley over there. He's just a first-round pick. You're not taking his spot. He said, Naoli, he's a beast. I don't think you're ready for that. You can't snap. And he said, you damn sure ain't taking my spot. <laughs> he said, I'm going to tell you what you're going to do, bro, young man. He told me, he said, you're going to make your money this year. You're going to learn this offense. If somebody gets hurt, you're going to be ready. But right now, you're a well-paid spectator. I said, damn. Damn. This is what it comes to. Like I used to, I used to sitting on a bench and everything. So you're gonna be a well-paid spectator. Don't get in no trouble. Do everything you want to do with the league. Save your money. Stack your money. But yo, you probably ain't touching the field this year. So you know me from New York. I'm like, shit, out of here, man. You bugging? I'm, I'm, I'm taking somebody's spot. He just laughed at me. All right, young squire, watch. And as I get down there, I'm going through the process, playing. I'm like, damn. I get behind Willie. I'm like, yeah, this ain't happening. Move me to right tackle. This ain't happening. You know, they just trying me out of different positions. I get the guard. I'm like, I ain't nowhere near strong enough to play guard yet. <laughs> but I couldn't snap the ball. I couldn't snap the ball and move. So it, it came to a point where it literally was like a red shirt season for me. And as much as I wanted to get out there and play, and when I had my opportunity in preseason to play and practice, I was doing my thing. But remember back then, it's easy as a rookie to do your thing because we had the, the, the soft shells. I call them the bulletproof vest. You ain't yep. hitting for real. It's, it's like it's like two-hand touching offseason in, 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 in mini camps and all of that, OTAs. So I'm, I'm blocking cats. I'm like, oh, this is NFL stuff is easy. But boy, we got the training camp. We got them pads on, boy. Pop, pop, pop. Live bullets. I said, this is a man's game. And, and Wally was right. He was like, yo, you, you physically as good as you were. He said, everybody was good in college. So everybody that's here. It's a man's game right now. And it took me a while to get acclimated to the league life, man. But, um, you know, made a 10-year career out of it. But, yo, that, that first year was rough on your boy. Rough. Hey, you talked about going to training camp. And, like, that's, you know, that was the thing that was so surreal to me because that was the first time you walk into that locker room and you see that helmet. Oh, yeah. And you see it, yeah. it's all clean. And you mm, see the practice shiny. pants. And you see that they shiny. They got the stitching in it, and they got the logo, everything, the shield, and you get so excited. But, like, what was the first time that you pretty much got your ass handed to you in Ooh. practice as a rookie when you remember in training camp? Or you may have gave, gave, you, you may have gave the business to somebody else. Listen, the first time that I remember was we were um, – there was a defensive lineman. It was two defense. Our defensive linemen were, remember, Leroy Glover. He was oh. a pro bowler. <laughs> he was a pro bowler, all pro. And I got to block him. And then we had Big Norman Hand. Rest his soul. Big Hand. Big yep. Hand. Big Hand, Mississippi guy. 340 pounds on a good day. I was not moving him. And then Leroy Glover was a pro bowl player. So I remember we in training camp and 
we doing one-on-one pass rush. I'm like, all right, pass rush is my specialty because I wasn't a, you know, a big guy. I'm like, I got good feet. Everybody know it. All I got to do is use my technique and get up, get up under the uh, defensive lineman. And you got to go two times. Two times is one rep. So first time I get up there, first rep I get up there, Norman Hand comes, boom, I'm blocking him. And then he does that hump move. When he hump me like this, my leg goes up in the air. I'm like, oh, shit. (laughs) Please don't fall. Please don't fall. So my left cleat, he he humps this side, so I go up in the air. My left cleats are digging in the grass, trying to hold on for dear life. Man, he tossed me, bro. So that's the first rep. So everybody laughing. I'm like, Like, first practice in training camp, bro. (laughs) So the next, I go again, we go again. We line up and go again. So this time I'm like, all right, well, I gave him too much time to get into me. So I'm going to jump set him this time. Man, I try to jump set him, get on him quick. He just stepped to the side, face first in the dirt, bro. <laughs> These are my two first full pad reps in the NFL. And then you see one-on-one pass rush, bro. Once once you once you lose that walk back, you gotta walk to the back of the line and you wanna ask the coach, give me one more, give me one more rep. Cause like, nah, get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> it was rough flat, bro. I'm telling you, man. It was rough flat. What about hey, you, I man? Remember. I know you, you had you had a uh, was Corey Dillon up there yet? Yeah, dog. That, that's a good story because I'm about to give you the story on Corey Dillon. So Corey came in. You got to remember a couple of years before that could jump to the draft, and right, he right, was going right. to be the savior. You know, coming in for. Mm-hmm. Uh, for Nike, he was the next big running back that they mm-hmm. thought that was going to be uh, in the NFL. So anyway, Kajana Carter, he got hurt, had some problems. Corey Dillon, I want to say he was a second round draft pick and they really they knew he was a good football player. Mm-hmm. Oh. And when mm-hmm. he got the opportunity to play like he killed it in a short amount of time period, his rookie year, his second year was my rookie year. So when I came in the training camp. You know, I remember hearing those guys just like, man, that's that's Corey Dillon, that's CD. Mm-hmm. And I remember walking beside him, and I'm like, kind of big to be a running back. But, you know, for me, I was like, all right, he can get it just like anybody else. Anybody so, else, right. So, like, you know, when you start off, I saw Corey practicing. And one of the things that they talked about is we want guys to practice like Corey Dillon. He finished every run. So every time he got the ball, he ran into into the end zone as a touchdown. 60 yards, 50 yards, jog back, what he did. Mm -hmm. And so I remember one time they told the rookies, like, hey, you better not touch Corey Dillon. Don't you touch him or we're going to send your ass home. Mm -hmm. So one undrafted guy, he was a free agent. He popped in on CD. It was a toss play. And I'm thinking, like, all right, we ain't tackling anyway. So, you know, you can just tag off. Mm-hmm. Man, how about Corey Dillon was like, I'm going to teach you not to even come up and run up on me and tag off. Corey just looked him up, bro. Put his shoulder pad in and boom, ran him over. He stepped on him two times with the same foot and then took it to the end zone. So for me as a Man. defensive player, I'm thinking like, okay, he did him <laughs> like that. 
I don't give a damn who you send at home, but I for damn sure you ain't gonna let I'm not gonna let that mm-hmm. be put yeah, on yeah. Right. So I remember one time, no, we need to get a better look. We're gonna go ones against ones. And we thud up. Mm-hmm. And so I remember this time it was me and C D. He got the ball. It was on a lead play. Brian Simmons took on the fullback, and it was me and C D in the hole. And so in my mind, I immediately knew. Spike, if you take your ass up there half-stepping, you won't be planted <laughs> in the ground like a daisy. And then they don't look at you like a bust. Yeah. And I was like, right. I ain't I'm not gonna tackle him. But put it this way, I got lower than him, and it was a stalemate, like boom. And yeah. I heard people say, Ooh. <laughs> and then they was like, let him go, let him go. But that was the day it was like, all right. People knew, like, I right, this spice kid, like he all right, like yeah, he gonna be yeah. something we can build around. So, bro, I, I didn't want to be on this highlight tape for real though, because he was he yeah, was murdering man. people. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know what I'm saying absolutely. like he, he was the, killing them. And that's the funny thing. And, and and if any rookie see this, you gonna get in the camp, and when you go against the veterans, the vets gonna be like, all right, all right, big fella, all right, all right, rook, all right, rook, like ease up, ease up. So in your mind, you thinking like. Nah, I can't ease up because I'm trying to, you know, I, I, I want to get whatever you're thinking. If it's making the roster, I'm going to make the roster. If it's uh, starting, I want to start. If it's whatever it is, yeah. you want to go full speed so you can make the best impression possible. But when you get in there, the vets, you're trying to run through training camp to make it to the regular season and make the team. The vets are trying to make it through training camp healthy to get to the regular season. So, you know, to your point, I'm running up against linebackers and I, I spit up with them and they're like, all right, all right, that's good, that's good, that's good. So you kind of let up a little bit. But I tell y'all, if y'all listening, you let up on a wrong vet, they will take you and plant you the other way. If you're on defense, you'll be planting on your back. Because it's going to be that one time that that vet go get you. And guess what's going to happen? What's going to happen is once you get and watch it in the field, first they're going to laugh at you on the field. So then you got to deal with that. Then when you get back in the in the film room, Spice, you know, when you watch it again, as it's coming up, they'll be like, ah, uh, <laughs> And then the coach just keeps rewinding it. So it's like, ah, uh, It just keeps happening over and over. And, and, and as that rookie, you can't do nothing but sit there with your flip-flops on and clench your feet on your flip-flop because you like, just go to the next play, coach. Go to the next play. So all the rookies, Make sure you go full speed. Don't listen to them vets that's telling you to lighten up. You got to go. You got to get yours. Nah, you, you got to get yours. And, you know, like even taking it a step further when you look at, I, you, you, you finished that mini camp, right? Mm-hmm. And assuming most guys get their deal done before they come mm-hmm. back to training camp, which starts camp, yeah. the last week of July. So that means if you got your bread and you signed, like that's when you like, man. You know what? I got a little money in my pocket. I'm about to take the boys out, and we can have a good time. We about to go go out on the night of the town. So, my first memory, because somebody texted me and asked me, was like, man, you got to tell your first memory. Uh, mm-hmm. After you signed, the first time you went out to a club, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and oh, I was like, yeah, I can remember that. Uh, I remember we went to, it was this famous club here in Atlanta. I cannot remember the name of it. Willie Anderson 
he was there that night, but it was I think it was Otto's or something like that. It was in Buckhead before they tore everything down. And I remember going there and Big Willie Anderson was there, like a lot of OGs. It was like that weekend where all of the guys go out because they knew that was the last time that you can enjoy yourself in your respective city right. before training camp started. And so we were there that night. And I remember I was like, man, all drinks on me tonight. Everything on mm -hmm. me. And I'm thinking, mm -hmm. like, this is before I knew about, like, bottles. Right, I'm thinking, right. like, I'm getting, like, a $10 drink here, a little $10 <laughs> drink here. I'm like, you know what? It ain't going to add up that bad. Man, I remember Big Willie came in. boys, And that's where, like, that's where it really, like, pissed me off because I saw, like, some dudes who played. And they didn't, mm -hmm. they didn't, they didn't even, they had homeboys who didn't even play and they up here ordering stuff. And so I was like, right. he was like, oh man, let me get that Henning. And I'm like, another dude was like, bro, let me, let me get like a Hennessy VSOP. And I'm looking at him. And as, at a certain point, the waitress came back over and she was like, sir, this is where you are. Uh, I just want to let you know, you know, just so we have any clear, no misconfusion at all. I looked at the tab too. Man, that tab, man, that tab at the moment was like 3500 And I had only been in there for 45 minutes. I was like, the only thing I thought about was, man, broke before I even get to the damn league. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, oh my goodness. But man, I'm going to go to five, anything. Them their car, and so, but yeah. Willie jumped in, and he he was like, you know what, we don't take care of some of these bottles because he brought me in as a, he really looked out for me that night. Yeah, man, I I tell you, that's dope, man. That's dope, and that's that's what you want. You want the best to look out for the young pups, you know what I'm saying? But I think the difference for me. On my first experience that I can remember, again, being from New York, Southside Jamaica, Queens, ain't nobody from New York made it to the league. So I ain't got no, when I go back home with kick it, it's me and my boys that I grew up with, right? So the funny part, again, being from Queens, I get back home, got a little money in my pocket. I'm like, I'm going to take my guys out. But at the time, I didn't really drink like that. I wasn't a heavy drinker, right? So... And this shows you how light of a drinker was. That night, was about five of my guys, one of my guys' buddy, just rest his soul, just passed away from, from Corona up in New York. Uh, my guy Lucky, um, Sean, Eric, a couple, couple of my closest friends coming up, man. So we go, but we party in Hempstead, Long Island. So Hempstead is like, uh, it's, it's across the border. But Long Island is known because they have some nice women. And we're, in, we're all from Queens, right? So we go out there and we partying and I'm in the club, bro. And to your point, we didn't do bottles back then. But guess what your boy was ordering? That's how much of a lightweight I was. Guess what your boy was ordering? Some Moscato. Long Island. <laughs> oh, Lord. <laughs> long Island, bro. I know it was a night. long night for you, too. Long night. Listen, so I'm ordering Long Island. So I'm like, yo, all my boys get Long Island. I'm thinking I'm doing something. <laughs> Cause we was in Long Island, right? So I'm like, yo, gotta yeah. be popping. So we drink it, drink it, drink it, having a great time. And at the end of the night, I'm I'm trash, I'm washed. So 
uh, they're going to drive me back. One of my boys didn't drink. They're going to drive us back um, to Queens. He has a car. So we get outside, and I saw a young lady looking at me, and I'm like, she's kind of, you know, kind of nice looking. But she was talking to a guy. But, of course, now I'm in New York. I'm smelling myself a little bit. I tell my dudes, we had to, we used to have, this is how juvenile we were when we taught the girls. We had plays. So I say, yo, run the pick and roll. Like that. So one of my guys goes up to the guy, stands in front of him like this. And as he stands in there, I walk by him, roll around him, and grab the young lady. It's like, hey, how you doing? So I start spitting and talking to her or whatever. She's cheesing and everything. I'm like, you know, get the number. The guy is pissed. He's like, yo, you just going to disrespect me like that? Word, you know, kid, you going to disrespect me? I was like, yo, chill, chill, chill. So I'm talking to the girl, ignoring him, yo, like just sunning him, just, just pushing him to the side. So he says, word, that's how you feel? You going to do that? You must not know where I'm from. I'm from such and such and such or something terrorist. Uh, I'm like, what? I said, where you from? I said, we from Southside. He's like, yo, I'm from such and such. Hempstead. And Hempstead. I said, Hempstead? Ain't no thugs in Hempstead. Hempstead? But yo, little did I know Hempstead was a part of Long Island that it was gangster. It was going down out there. So that was dumb on my part. One, it was dumb to even do that. Two, it was dumb to uh, you know, be in this dude neighborhood talking trash because we still had to go back 30 minutes to the crib. Right. So he's like, word, that's how you feel? He's like, I got something for you. I'm like, oh, whatever. I'm just focused on the young lady. So I get her number. We talk environment or whatever. A couple minutes later, my boys are like, yo, two, go ahead and get in the car. I'm like, what? It's like, yo, get in the car. So car pulls up, four dudes hop out. They're like, yeah, talk that shit now. I'm like, what the hell going on? <laughs> so my boys, now they like, now. Nah. They're going to be diplomatic like, now, huh? I, I was so trashed, I forgot what happened. So my boys is like, nah. They're like, yo, we're not going to let two mess up as soon as you got in the league. We're going to handle it. So they step up, and it's like, it's like seven, of, it's four in one car. Three and another, seven of them, it ain't but five of us. So my boy's like, two, come on, my, boo, my dude buddy, grab me, like, push me in the car like the president, open the door, says, sit here, goes around, locks the car door, I can't get out, child locks. I'm like, what y'all doing? And remember, I'm drunk. So I'm like, what are y'all doing? What are y'all doing? I see them out there fighting, and I like, finally, I roll down the window, I say, yo, what y'all fighting for? They say, like, what are we fighting for? We fighting for your dumb man, because you try to talk to the so he didn't he didn't call his boys up and they really was gonna jump on us because we still was out in Hempstead. So, you know, my boys they looked out for me, but literally that that was the last time I tried to high side on anybody. Now it just it just brought things back into perspective, like, yo, you made it, but it could be taken away just like that. Oh, uh, no question, bro. And that's how it usually happens. Um yeah. I I was always taught. A smart man to learn from his own mistakes. A wise man to learn from from somebody else's mistakes. And so, I think that would be my message to all of the guys who are about to be drafted later on tonight. Uh, it's one thing to be smart, but the true value comes in understanding of how to be wise. And as they in, as they embark on this new journey. It's going to be a lot of ups and downs, a lot of emotional roller coasters. But just always understand, like, stay focused on what you can't control and everything else to take care of itself. Absolutely. And so that's my message to all of the youngsters out there. I know you got a message for the guys, man. Yeah. So 
Go ahead and I lay mean, that wisdom on it, my brother. Man, definitely and enjoy the process. Enjoy the journey. I've had a couple of guys text me or DM me over over this time. You know, nervous about what's going to happen next. Will they get drafted? Will they be a free agent? But definitely enjoy the journey. You know what I mean? It's a journey, not a destination. Because guess what? As soon as you get drafted, I got Tory Smith said. They're going to say, hey, congratulations, you made it to the NFL. That's the good news. The bad news, the clock is ticking from when you out. You know what I mean? And one of my coaches, uh, uh, Jack Henry, he was uh, the coach that drafted me, O-line coach down there in New Orleans. We were getting a training camp, and it was so rough. And I was like, man, this is, this is you know, different from the league. And that's back when we had two-a-days every day, full pads. Remember? So he would say, two, let me tell you something. There's only one thing worse than being in training camp. I'm like, what could possibly be worse than this? He said, not being in training camp. I'm like, wow. So perspective. It's but perspective. Because if you're not there, you try, you're steadily trying to get back in. You know what I'm saying? So enjoy the journey, uh, the positives. Make the negatives. Learn from the negatives. Take the positives. Embrace them. And find you a veteran that you, you know, a good dude that you can latch on to that'll show you the ropes because you're going to experience life that you haven't experienced before. You're going to see things you haven't seen before. But again, to your point, that perspective, you have to take everything in the proper stride. You can't just let it get to your head. You can't do like I'm doing, just trying to think I could do this, that, and the next thing. And, and, and you know, particularly today's day and age with social media, everything's on camera. Everybody's a videographer now. So everything will be out there, but stay your nose down, keep grinding, man, and enjoy the journey. Yeah, man. And, and with that being said, we want to wish all of the guys the best of luck tonight. Understand it's a process, like you said, to embrace that thing because it's right. definitely going to be one of the most memorable moments that you ever will have in your lifetime. That's and right. so right. uh, from the TKO over here at Behind the Mask podcast and definitely from my co-host Two-Tone Reyes, Better known as the your favorite plus size model, Tucson in the building. You see it. Man, we wish y'all the best of luck. And holler at your boy. You see us in the street, you holler at us because we're coming to get you to get on this podcast, man. And we thank right. everybody for joining in too. Uh first time going live on Facebook, but it's been a blast. So we're looking forward to coming back, sharing more info with you guys. And make sure you follow Behind the Mask Pack podcast anywhere that you watch your podcast, listen to your podcast, I should say, and also you can watch it on YouTube. We're going to be everywhere. So you guys have a lot of great content, more coming up. All the best. Appreciate your support. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.